Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. Man, we had an amazing time yesterday in Encanto. For those that were a part of that, thank you for coming out and serving. Um, I don't know if there's people here visiting us this morning from the outreach, but welcome if you're here. And if you are, if you're new with us this morning, welcome to the New Vision family. We do have a gift in the Welcome Center if you want to come see just outside the doors or just get to know you and you get to know us a little bit. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to the men here. Guys, we have the men's gathering next Saturday. We always have a great time of breaking some bread together, eating together, studying together, fellowshipping together. Uh, I want to encourage you to come out there. It starts at 5.30 um, next uh, Saturday, so come and join us. Amen. And one more thing. We do, if you come early, if you want to come at 9.30 here at the church, we do have a prayer time, and I want to encourage you to come out and pray with us before service. If you're sitting in here, we go down in the cry room and have some time to pray. I want to encourage you to come out and do that. We know that we cannot do anything unless we have the power of God. And that happens by prayer. And so I want to encourage you to come out. Hey, turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to continue on um, looking at John chapter. We looked at the first part of it last week. This, this week, or part two, as, as we look at the ministry of the true shepherd, part two. is We're going to be looking at John chapter 10, looking at verses 22 to 42 this morning. So open up your Bibles or phones or iPads or whatever electronics you might have um, uh, this morning. On my phone, I have a, a, a news app. And on my news app, I get a lot of notifications, what's happening around the neighborhood or what's happening on a national level or what's even happening around the world. And obviously, we heard the, the news of, of um, Queen, Queen Elizabeth's death this week as she died at 96 years old. And many people were saddened by that. As uh, I remember, they were showing uh, pictures of the palace where Julie, I, Julie and I were that this summer looking and visiting um, and the grief of that country. But what really troubles my heart is the fact that I get a lot of apps that pop up of the number of homicides that are happening across our nation. The stabbings, the shootings, the violence we see in our own nation. And when I read about these things, I I think of just the the, the depravity of man, the depravity of our our own nation, how heartless and, and really sinful we can be as people. But it's easy to judge the heinous crimes committed by such people. But I think Jesus often awakens us to our own darkness, to our own judgments, to our own thing when he says, even if you hate your brothers, as if you committed murder. He says, even if you lust upon a woman, as if you committed adultery. There's things in us, guys, that we have the capacity and capabilities of doing in our own hearts that that we have to be careful that as we don't cast stones, that we are even subject to even some of those temptations and our own angers and emotions and, and feelings. I think as we look at John chapter 10, Jesus exposes the darkness by being the light, right? He makes his personal confession of who he is to the religious leaders who worship the law, yet want to kill him and trap him in the story. And so Jesus confronts this hostility with loving truth, that he actually puts into action to love your enemy, as we're going to see in the story here, as we're going to see him continue on the story. As he begins to lay out the idea 
of who he is. And, and they're asking him these questions and he's making his own confession that he is the son of God. In chapter 10, what does Jesus do? Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders about who he is. Remember, he mentions earlier that he makes those I am statements. He goes, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And these two statements stirred up trouble between him and the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't handle who he was. And as you read the Gospel of John, you'll see more of the aggression taking place and the reasons why they want to go after Jesus, the reason why they want to kill Jesus. Just look at the progression of the book, the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, we see his incarnation, right? The Word became flesh, right? John 1.14. And then what we also see is then in chapters 2 4, we see his introduction as we look at the different stories where he turns the water to wine. We see his encounter with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. He's being introduced, Jesus is being introduced to different people, and he's being introduced to us to who he is. But by the time you get to chapter 13 through 16, you see the really, I mean, chapter 5 through 12, you see really the incursion which is just really Jesus being attacked, death threats on his life, the, just, just the aggression of the religious leaders who now want to kill him. And you see the intensity begin to rise in those chapters. When you get into chapters 13 to 16, you see the instructions as the intensity is rising. He now turns to the disciples and he says, I got to leave some instruction for you. I got to leave some things. I'm going to download some stuff that you need to know. We see in chapter 17, really his intercession. I really would call this the Lord prayer. We often think of Matthew 6, our Father in heaven as the Lord's prayer. That's really the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's prayer in John 17 as he talks about he's praying for us and the world. And then we see really in chapters 18 and 19 the execution of Jesus or his crucifixion. And then he closes the book with his resurrection so as we're in chapter 10, we're halfway through the gospel, and he's covered a lot of ground by the time you come to chapter 10 about who he is. And yet, it's all pointing to the cross. It's always pointing to this final historical event of how Jesus demonstrated his love for us. Let's look at John chapter 10, starting at verse 22. It says this, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked to the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and he said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and I said, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, for I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones against to stone him, and Jesus answered, Many good works I, I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For the good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is not written in your law, I said, You are God's? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and said into the world that you are blasphemy because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, 
Believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing first. And there he stayed. And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father heaven, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Lord, I just pray that the opening of our hearts and our minds and our ears this morning as we've read your word, that alone should speak to us, Lord. But now I pray for the expounding of your word. I pray for the proclamation of your word. I pray that as I teach it, Lord, that the hearers would receive it and understand it. That, Father, we're not receiving just information, but in the information, there's some inspiration. And in that, Lord, you speak to our hearts. Father, we want to be more like you, and so your word is what sanctifies us, and we're washed by your word. And so we're praying this morning that you would sanctify your people through the reading and the study of your word. And so I pray that your spirit would be fresh and new on them this morning. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the story, there's a couple things I just want to look at this morning. And, and the first thing we're going to look at this morning is Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders. Let me tell you something. The gospel will bring conflict. The things of God will bring conflict, whether you realize it uh, or not. But what I love about the scripture, that it gives us historical facts, that this Bible is just an, isn't a fairy, sta- fairy table. It isn't once upon a time. It, it actually is a historical book as much as it is an inspirational book. And we see that in the writings because the history only validates the truth of God's word. And so we see that here, right? Uh, this book reveals the nature of man. And, and John gives an account of these religious leaders in the, in the temple. He says it's winter time here. And he's talking about that it was really here in verse 22. What do we see in verse 22? We see this. It says, now it was the Feast of Dedications in Jerusalem, and it was winter. What was the Feast of Dedications? That's Hanukkah, the Feast of Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah is a Jewish holiday which celebrates the cleansing of the rededication of the temple after three years of desecrations from Antiochus Epiphanes, a general king of Syria. This king was ruthless. This king in 168 BC came into the, de- the, the temple and desecrated it. In fact, what he did there is he made it a, a place of prostitution. What he did was he took a pig and sacrificed a pig in the altar of the temple to to Jupiter. And he took about 80,000 Jews and enslaved them and killed them. He was like the Hitler of the day. And he was like the modern Holocaust of, of that day. He was an evil, evil man. But what happened, there was a man by the, Judu, by the name of Judas Maccabee in 165 BC with the Maccabees that came in and took over this leader, took over this king and rededicated the temple and purified the temple and cleansed the temple. And when they came into the temple, they found this, 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 this the, um, uh, menorah, this, this, this candle stand, and they only had a, one candle and they only had enough of oil to last a day, but they needed more of that. And so they lit that candle with this oil. And what was miraculous about that time was the fact that it was only enough to last a day, but it lasted eight days until they got more oil. That day, 
that they celebrate Hanukkah is December 25th, which we celebrate Christmas. This day, the Jewish people, even our, in, our, in other countries, celebrate Hanukkah today. And so I just, it only, only affirms the word of God, the history that we read about this. Jesus comes into the temple because why? Though Hanukkah is also another word for the Feast of Lights. The light of the world is to come and dress the darkness of the world because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does in our own light. See, in order to come to light, we have to see our own darkness because we have to know why he saved us, our brokenness and our imperfections and everything. And God just brings to light those things that he wants to bring transformation. And he comes to the religious leaders and he's actually not coming to the religious leaders. He actually goes into the temple to minister and the religious leaders come to him. And there's a confrontation. And you see in verses 22 to 24, the interrogation of the religious leaders on Jesus. It says, now it was the feast of dedications in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in the Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Man, the light. It says it was the winter time that he came into Solomon's porch Solomon's porch was the east side of the temple, and it was basically like any other porch, right? You have, may have a porch in your house, right? And the porch exists to keep the, the rain off of you and the heat off you. So Jesus comes to the area of the temple, the porch, and oftentimes he came to that temple to minister to the people and speak about who he was and do ministry. So he's there in this porch, and then it says that the religious leaders came and surrounded him. Wow. They gathered, the word surrounded there is the picture that these religious gathered around Jesus like a pack of wolves. In fact, the Greek word surrounded means to be boxed in. Like they, they, they surrounded him like thugs. I just want you to see the picture. Jesus is in the temple and there's this half circle backing them in as they're coming to interrogate him. And you really see the, the spirit of the religious leaders. They didn't come seeking Christ. They came to intimidate, bully, and trap him. That was their intentions in coming into. Think about that. The temple was the church of the day. What if Jesus came in and he came in a new vision, all of a sudden people that were having a hard time come in and trap him and they box him in a corner. That's the picture that we see taking place here in the scriptures. And then there, what, there's an intensive questioning of Jesus' identity, right? They ask him a question. You know, if you are really the son of God, if you are really who you are, make it plain. Tell us, right? That's what it says in the scriptures, right? It says, how long do you keep us in the doubt if you are Christ, tell us plainly? A couple of problems with their statements. Right, a couple of problems, there are two things, right? They blame Jesus for their own unbelief. Think about it, look at the question. How long do you keep us in the dark? You know, people often do that. I don't want to believe in God because God didn't come through for me. God didn't do this for me. And we sometimes people blame God and they don't want to put their trust in God because of circumstances and situations and, and issues. And they'll blame God for that. How, how long do you keep us in doubt? How long do you, how, how long are you going to keep us in the dark? And they even brought about doubt. If... If you are the Christ, if you are the Christ, what a, what a statement. That's the same statement 
that Satan used in the garden to Eve. If he's really God, did he, if, if he's really this, did he really mean the words that he said? If it's really, right? The biggest thing that the enemy wants to do in our lives is bring a lot of ifs, a lot of doubts, a lot of lies. And a lot of people believe a lot, a lot of lies out there about who God is and who he claims to be. I mean, there's people coming and claiming that they're the Christ today. There are people bringing false doctrines and false teachings and people fall into it very easily because their perception or their thoughts about who God is and they don't see it through the scriptures. They see it through whatever TV they're watching or whatever ideas they're, they're reading about. But many are blaming the religious leaders, but the religious leaders aren't really coming to seek Jesus. They're really coming to kill Jesus. They're really coming to arrest Jesus. They really want to take him and bring him to the religious leaders to come against him because they really want to see him dead. These are the religious leaders who knew the law. And what was one of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. And yet they're violating the very commandment that they so believe in. And so many people lack their faith because they put it on God and said, just receive him by faith. Many people have excuses about unbelief, right? I, I, I think doubt is not, a, not, not bad. Some people, oh, you should never doubt. Like, we have moments of doubt. I, I'm so moved by the humility of a father who brings a, his son to Jesus, who was demon-possessed. He had a sickness, demon-possession. Jesus is on the mountain with Peter, James, and Zahn having an encounter with them. When the disciples are down below this mountain and his father brings them and they're trying to cast out a demon and they can't cast it out. Jesus comes down the mountain and the father just blown away. His son's manifesting demonic things. He's moving to throw himself around and, and they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus comes and says, oh, you have little faith. And he asked the man a specific question. He says, do you believe me? And the man says this with all humility. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Wow. That he knew who he, he was. He knew that, yeah, I want to believe. I, I believe. But there's things inside of me still that I don't have all the questions. Or I might have some questions, but God help me in the areas that I don't fully understand everything. Guys, it's okay to come to God and say, help my unbelief. Come on, come on. Help my unbelief. Show me you're true. It's okay. We're all going through that. And that man's son was healed that very day because I think it was the humility of the father. But these men coming weren't about seeking and believing. They were seeking to destroy. And we see Jesus really begin to reveal the heart of these religious leaders, Right? And so we see in verses 25 and 26, the revealing words of the spiritual condition of the religious. Look at it, it says this. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe. Here's the reason. Because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. Ooh. Jesus pulled no punches, man. He pulls no, he call, he's a straight shooter. I love that. In fact, 
I think John is a straight shooter too in his writing. He's writing these things. You'll see John the Apostle is pretty much a, a straight shooter about things. He says, I've already showed you and revealed who I am. I've already told you. Remember, we studied last week. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I am the door, right? He says earlier, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I, this whole time in the introduction, I've been revealing who I am. I've been telling you who I am. Listen, the gospel of John is nothing but I told you so. I told you. I told you this is who I am. I told you this is who I am. My works speak of who I am. I bear witness of who I am. What more do you need? I do the works of my father in my father's name. I re represent my father. This is what Jesus is telling the religious leaders. I love this. When Jesus came to the Samaritan woman, and we studied that story in John chapter 4, he, he has a conversation. He doesn't make plainly right away who he is because there's an issue between the women and, and a rabbi, and they were not supposed to be together. But Jesus is together with this woman by the well, and his disciples are trying to go get some, some food for Jesus. So they're not there, and he has this encounter with this woman. And they get into some theology and discussions about faith and religious things. And then this woman makes an interesting statement as they're working through the progress of understanding faith issues. And I think today, guys, as we're here today, we're sharing with the teachings. And I want to challenge you, it's okay to work through the process of faith issues. It's okay to struggle, but just be open to what God's trying to speak to you and what he's trying to show you, because that's the very journey of the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman, as they're having this conversation, comes to some conclusion, says this, the woman said to him, being Jesus, said, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell you all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals who he is to the Samaritan woman. I'm he. The one you talk about, I'm the one that you've been looking for. I think in your journey, if you're truly seeking him, God's going to reveal himself to you. I am he. I am he. Stay your course with your faith. Maybe you're here just curious about faith. Maybe you've never made a confession. Maybe you're just journeying and, and trying to figure this out. That's okay. God's desires to reveal himself to you. And it was so radical that this woman, who had been with many men in the story, went out and told others all that this man had said and done. That her life was so transformed in that moment, she couldn't hold back what God had already done in her for that day. Man, true salvation, true transformation happens when something supernaturally happens in us that we're like, I gotta tell others. Why, do, why were we in the park yesterday? Because something happened to us that we gotta tell others. That's, that's why we do what we do. I'm a, I'm a beggar that's found bread, the bread of life trying to show other beggars where to find bread. That, that, that's our heart. That's what we do. That's the work that we do in the faith. My challenge to you is a little bit is, what's holding you back in your faith? Right? What, do you, what more do you need to believe this morning? Right? But I love Jesus. He really gets to the heart of the issue. He, he just drops it here with them, Right? He drops the truth on them. You don't love and believe 
because you're not my sheep. You're not, you're not one of my sheep, right? You don't trust. You're a hireling. You're a thief. You're a robber. Because he says that earlier in the, in the text, in verses 1 through 21. He talks all about that. If you haven't been here, go back. He says, you're a thief and a robber. That's, that's what he calls them. Ouch. I'm like, dude, oh, that's not very loving. How judgmental. Jesus is so judgmental. Guys, when you're dealing with wolves, you don't play with wolves. You got to deal with it quickly. You got to kill that wolf or the wolf will kill the sheep. And Jesus knows that, right? And so he addresses the sheep to those who hear my voice. But you shut your ears off to my voice. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, the scripture says. I'm building up your faith this morning because you're here hearing the word of God. And that's going to grow our faith. It's going to build our faith. And so we see here Jesus is, 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 is really calling them out. But he says, you're not my sheep. But let me tell you about my sheep and the promises I have for them. The one that you're not going to get because you're not my sheep. We see that in 27 to 30, right? The spiritual promises given to those who believe to a sheep. It says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. First of all, in verse 27, he wants to bring clarification, right? Right? My sheep hear my voice. There's a union between the Father and the sheep the children between jesus and the children there's a union there's a special relationship and i know them god knows us and we know him there's some identity connected to that and they follow me right their obedience and there's an allegiance and there's a sanctification that we are followers of jesus we're just not people that believe we're people of action we're people of obedience that my followers actually have a life of faith and put, they exercise their faith, is what Jesus is saying. He, I just want to tell you who my sheep are because you're not my sheep. Let me tell you who my sheep are. And so he's clarifying who they, they are, right? And he, he goes, he also clarifies that Jesus is the giver of life, right? He's the giver of life. I give you eternal life. God gives us eternal life in heaven. But let me tell you something. He gives abundant life on earth. Come on, come on. He, he talks about that earlier in the text. Abundant life is not like, like I'm going to be wealthy and be this million. It has to do with the quality of life. He gives us a quality of life that the enemy tried to rob us of. A quality of life to, to make sure that our, our marriage relationships are strong and our, ch our children relationships are strong. And he gives us this quality of life if we walk and abide in him, how we're called to live in relationship to him and our relationships to one another. That's a quality of life. But the enemy wants to rob us of that quality of life. He wants to disrupt it. But I'm a giver of life, this eternal life. And this eternal life that I give you is not earned. <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift that I give you. I talked about that yesterday at the park. The gift giver, right? And because you receive the gifts, you'll never perish. The word perish means be destroyed or, or given to eternal punishment. I want to tell you, this is the promise that Jesus is saying about the sheep. Right? 
You'll never perish. You'll never be destroyed. You'll never see destruction. You know why? Because God's hand is steady. Come on, come on. That's what he says in verse 28 and 29, right? He talks about nobody can snatch him out of the palm of my hand. Nobody, right? For those that are older, you remember the uh, old the company called Allstate? Allstate was an insurance company, right? That's what it was. And, and they had that commercial, and their campaign said, you are good hands with Allstate. I don't know if you remember that commercial. <laughs> Let me tell you, in Jesus, we have an internal insurance. And in your, in your in good hands with God. You're in good hands with God. God promised that our salvation is secure. By faith, our salvation is secure. Many of you live in fear, but perfect love casts out fear for fear is torment. What he's promising here is he's saying, let me tell you how secure your salvation is. Let me tell you when you put your trust, he's not looking for perfect people. We'll never be perfect. We'll fall short. That's why we have his grace because his grace is sufficient for us. The grace is the wide outs. The, the grace is the safety nets. Now, we don't abuse that grace, right? Do we keep on sitting that grace by bound? God forbid, no. But the grace is there when we fall and we, 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 we stumble or we're not kind to each other. Or we don't express the, 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 the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We have grace and we have forgiveness. But nothing can remove us from the steady and firm grip. Why? Because our Father is greater than all. He's almighty. He's omnipotent. He's, he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And he says, and you've given them, you, me, he's given them to me. We are God's gift. God is, he said, I, you're mine. You're chosen. Gosh, I don't know, for some of you who, didn't play sports, and remember when you were young and you had to go on PE and they used to play kickball or whatever, and, and the, the, the scariest time was that they had to pick teams, and you hope you're going to be picked. And the worst thing was to be picked last, right? You didn't want to be the last one picked because it said something about you, right? It, it affects your identity, it affects your, your self-esteem, it affected everything. But let me tell you, Jesus picked you first. Amen. He chose you first. He died for you to be on his team. My father's chosen me. That's what he's saying here. You're a chosen people, a chosen generation. And the good shepherd cares for his sheep. And they're safe and secure in the hands. Listen, I'm, I'm secure not because of my grip. But the grip of God on me. That's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 8, starting verse 37, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who's chosen us, who selected us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything created in things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing could take us out of the palm of his hand. Nothing. His grip is firm. Remember you guys used to play tug of war with the ropes when you were young and your hands would burn and eventually you would lose grip? God grip never is lost. He holds us firm. He's got us. That's the promise he wants us to understand. And he says, let me tell you something. 
God's got us, and him and I are one. Yes. We're, on, we're together. We're different people, but of the same essence. He's talking about the Trinity. He's, he's, he's talking about his deity that he's saying, I'm God. You, you, you want, here, I'm going to answer your question. Who are you? Are you the son of God? The Father and I are one. He just answered their question. I, I'm making it plain to you. I'm spilling it out. I ain't holding it back. I'm, I'm laying my life down. I'm signing on the dotted line. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He makes that claim. He has been revealing himself throughout the book of John. Chapter 6, he says, I'm from heaven. Chapter he says, before Abraham was, I am, right? You can't be in more plain. The Father and I are one. Jesus went to the cross because of who he claimed to be, that he was God, Amen. God in the flesh. Second person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the second person of the Trinity. That's why Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> That's just my first point, <laughs> right? This is the ministry of the true shepherd. Here's the second thing, guys. The religious leaders' threats intensified against Jesus. They intensified it, right? It says, you know, we live in this technological world, and because of that, we can move faster with information. And just the other day, I needed to, to assign some documents and, but we have the technology now where I don't have to go to the office and go down there and sign paperwork. I actually could sign my signature online and then they'll make a copy of my exact kind of same signature and then they could actually drop it on DocuSign or whatever and it will actually drop into the document the exact copy of my signature and it would validate me. It would be approved. It'd be, it would be accepted. That's what Christ is, right? He is the, he, he is the signature. He, Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. So when he made that claim that he and the Father were one, this angered the religious leaders. He was the exact copy. He was signing the dotted line. And this angered the religious leaders. And so Jesus addresses that. They're angered by his claim. Look at verse 31 to 33. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered saying, for, for a good work we do not stone you. They said, we're not stoning you because of what you do. But for blasphemy, for what you said. And yet, and because you being a man make yourself God. Right? They took Jesus' words as being blasphemous. It says they, they picked up or they took up stones. Actually, the thought is this. The word in the Greek means to be carried. Where Solomon's porch is, there wasn't a lot of rocks. They actually had to get rocks outside the temple and bring it in. That they came in already with rocks. They came in already carrying with a premeditated plan and idea that they were already going to stone Jesus. You know, there are some people when you want to talk about faith, just want to argue. They come with just an argumentative spirit. They don't come to receive. They don't come to learn. They don't want to come. They just want to come to argue. There are people that just like that, that just want to argue for the sake of arguing. That was the intentions of these men. They knew exactly what he had been claiming. They knew exactly, and they're coming in to try to trap him, right? And so Jesus says, why are you going to 
Why are you going to be stoners? So it's okay to laugh, guys. You're like, can I laugh at that? Listen, they came to stone. He goes, what, work are you, what good work are you going to stone me for? That's what he's saying. I, I, I've done this good work. Jesus came to do goodwill to do so people could hear the good news, right? Yesterday, we were in the park doing goodwill. We were serving the people, and we were ministering to them, and we are having a great time in the park blessing people. What? Ultimately, to share the good news. Hey, I, I've healed people. I've healed the blind. I healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. I did all these different things. You're going to stone me for these works? Man, you got it twisted. You got it twisted, right? The law said it was okay to stone those who blaspheme. You can read that in, in the Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 60. It says, when people speak wrong, you could stone them. But there was a due process in that. You couldn't just come and stone somebody. There was a process to that. There was a, a, a process to, to find the answer to why they needed to be stoned. They didn't come. They were bringing judgment right away. They were ready to stone Jesus in the moment here. And Jesus answers the question, I and the Father are one, right? They're saying, we're stoning you because you made yourself equal with God. Yeah, I did, exactly. He said, he didn't back down, he didn't back step. He said, yes, it is. And then Jesus begins to defend what he said in verses 34 to 38. Jesus answered them, it is not written in your law, I said you are God's. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came, the scriptures cannot be broken. Do you say to him whom the Father sanctified and said unto him, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, the works that you may know and believe that the Father is me and I in him. Jesus, right away, I love this about Jesus. You're religious leaders, you're Jews. So you should know the Old Testament. You should know the scriptures. You're Pharisees, Sadducees, you're part of the Sanhedrin, which is all of them together, and and your students of studies. So Jesus begins to quote Psalm 82, 6. That's what he does. He goes, I said, you are God's. You, use a, you are God's small g. What that time is those religious leaders were referred to as gods in the sense that they were judges, that you had the right to judge. You have this right to judge. So you are God's, you're a judge. You have the right for life and death over people. You can make that judgment call. So if you have a right of being imperfect men who could make that judgment call, me being a perfect man should have the same right to make a judgment call, is what he's saying here. Because the scriptures aren't broken. They're not altered. They're not in error. They're truth. They're inspired. So Jesus confronting them. Let's, let's lay down some theology here. Let's, let's, let's get this straight. And so he's quoting. They would have known Psalm 82. But my works speak of who I am and confirm what I do and what I say. So why are you having a hard time with me, is what Jesus is saying. Why are you harassing me? Why are you having a hard time with me? The Father sanctified me. He set me apart and set me into this world. I, I'm just being obedient to the Father. But if my works don't match my words, then don't believe me, is what he said. But if my words, words match my works, then believe. Because I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. 
That's my challenge to you. You know, my challenge to you is that we look to Jesus and see what he's done. Now, we're called to bear good testimony in our lives, but we don't always get it right. We don't always do the right things. We don't always get it right. We, we fall short sometimes. Thank you for the grace of God and the mercy of God. Amen, Jesus. Right? But the word speaking, the evidence is here for you to believe. What evidence do you need to believe? Jesus was crucified and resurrected again, and you still don't believe? That's historical. It reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus story. You might be familiar with this story. Rich man had all that he had. He was living large in his place, everything he wanted at his disposal. There was a poor man outside his gate, Lazarus, the sores, boil sick, begging on the streets and living off the streets homeless. And he called out to the man to help, but the man wouldn't give him the time of day. Both of them die. One goes to Abraham's bosom, which is heaven, and another one goes to uh, Hades, which is hell. And they see they're there, and there's a chasm. And the rich man is like hot, and he's like, man, I can't believe. He's feeling the torment and the pain and the thirst and the agony. And so there's a conversation between the rich man and the Lord. He's like, Lord, man, I didn't know this is crazy. Like, can you just put a little water on my tongue to comfort me? Tells you a little bit about what hell might and punishment might look like. It gives a description of that. And then he says, send somebody somebody to my brothers to tell them about this place. And this is the words in 27. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If one comes to the dead and tells about what happens. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, meaning the words of God, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. He says, if they didn't bring the the stories and the things already spoke through these men of God, if they don't believe that, they're not going to believe the resurrection. We live, we, live, we live in a world that hasn't believed in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. What more, what more does he have to prove and give for us to believe? As we close this morning, verses 39 to 42, Jesus escapes from the religious leaders. God will do supernatural work through you. One of the things when we were on a trip, we were in the Netherlands and The Hague, and we got to visit Corey Ten Boom's house. For those who don't know who Corey, Corey Ten Boom, her and her sister and her family lived there, and they hid the Jews from the Nazis during the Holocaust. They literally built this room with a wall, and when the Nazis came, they would hide the Jews inside behind this wall so they wouldn't be taken away. And they did this as Christians and believers. Well, what happened was that they got betrayed and so they hid these Jews and later their whole family got arrested for hiding the Jews and they got put in jail and then they ended up going to the, uh, the Holocaust. They were put in prison in, a, in Nazi Germany in a, in a concentration camp. Corey Tenboon and her sister were there and they loved God and they trusted God with their whole heart. And the story is the fact that Corey had this little Bible 
that she would read from. And when they go into these camps, they would strip them all naked before they put them in and they would just do all that. And she would, but she said, what if they take, they can't take my Bible. They can't take my Bible. This is my life. And when they stripped her down, she held her Bible. And as they're going through inspection and they're getting can't, no one saw that Bible. She's butt naked holding this Bible and nobody saw it. And she went in to the barracks. The crazy thing about her and her sister were put in these barracks and they're just trusting God through this, just the, the way they live was terrible. Their barracks had got infested with fleas. And, the, and so they were sleeping in this flea-infested barracks with all these ladies. And they were having these Bible studies here. And they were teaching people about God. And people were coming by faith. But Corey was like just frustrated with God. Why are you sending these fleas? You're, they're, they're tormenting us. And her sister said, just, just pray that we're thankful for the fleas. And she's like, why are we going to say we're thankful for the fleas? Let's be thankful in all things. Well, what Corey didn't know was those fleas were there because the soldiers who tormented them heard that there was fleas in this camp and would never go into their barracks because they didn't want to get fleas on them and torture them and harm them. That God was using the fleas to protect them. And because there was an error in paperwork, Corey Tenboom got out of the concentration camp. Her sister died there, but she got out. And she, you could read her story. She has a book, I'm the, A Hiding Place, and I'm, the, I'm a Tramp for the Lord. She has a book called I'm a Tramp for the Lord. And she, she went all around the world to preach the gospel in her, in her, late, in her elder layers in the 80s and 70s, 80s and 90s. She, with her whole heart, trusted God to protect her, to protect her. Guys, may we have a dependency upon God like that, that God will make a way. And that's exactly what happens here. They're surrounding them like a pack of wolves in verse 39 and 40. It says, therefore, they're sought against the seas. It means they wanted to arrest him. But he escaped out of their hands and he went away beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. That was a supernatural escape by Jesus. They can't contain him. They couldn't arrest him. They couldn't do it, right? Many times he would say, it's not my time. It's not my time to reveal harm. It's not my time. But now he's revealing who he is, but it's not my time to be arrested. It's not my time to do it. There is a time. There'll be a day that he does get arrested in the garden. There will be a time he gets taken captive, but this is not the time. And he's going to the place where it all started in John chapter one. He's going to a place called Barabar, which is Bethany. He's going to a place by the, where they were baptized in the Jordan where John is going back. Why? Because God is to begin to prepare him because the next journey back to Jerusalem is the cross. And so God had to put him in a place of rest to prepare for what was going to happen next because there still wasn't his time god is preparing him sometimes we might have a place of rest to prepare us for the next journey of what god might take us through and so we have to seat at the feet of the father in order to get ready for the work that he wants us to do and we see that here i think there are many who escaped their captors in the Bible because their dependency upon God. Peter was placed in jail for preaching the gospel and they wanted to kill him the next day. 
but God opened the gates for him to escape. If you remember the story, there were believers praying in a house. Peter gets out. They're praying for Peter's release. He gets out supernaturally. He goes to that house. The servant opens the door, sees Peter, and shuts the door on him because I think I've seen a ghost. <laughs> How many of you prayed like that? You prayed for something that happens, and you're like, oh, did it really happen? <laughs> you know? We know Paul the Apostle, who was in, in the jail of Philippi, right? He's in the jail of Philippi, and him and Silas, they're there for their faith, for healing people, casting out demons of a demon-possessed woman, for Lydia, Lydia to the faith to start in the early church. They get thrown in jail, and they're there sleeping and kicking back, and there's an earthquake. Cracks the foundations of the gates, open up, they go out, and they see the Philippian jailer there. And he ministers to Philippians because he's going to kill him. So he commits Harry Carey. He's wanting to kill him. And God touches him. He gets saved. His whole family gets saved. And he actually just goes back and I'll put him back in jail. And he gets out the next day. Supernatural events happen, God, in our lives when we're dependent upon him in our journeys. Some of you should be dead today, but God had his hand on you. Supernatural journeys that God has looked out for you. And he closes the book this chapter with the power of a testimony because it says, and then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. Many came to Jesus and said, man, John the Baptist, this guy, he didn't know miracles whatsoever. But you know what the miracle was? This man of God had character. He had character, right? He died a martyr's death for his faith. He's willing to give up his life for his faith. He is, his work introduced Jesus as the Son of God and the Lamb of God. His work was instrumental in many coming to the faith, John's work. And Jesus recognized the work and called him the, one of the greatest men of all times. But he didn't perform no miracle. He was a simple guy that was faithful to Jesus. And he was just a character. And it says that many believed that Jesus was doing ministry there, but the work of God of John the Baptist was so influential in that region, many believe. My challenge to you guys, well, pastor, I don't, I don't know what kind of gift I have. I don't know if I can heal. I don't know if I... Just being faithful to Jesus and loving people is the miracle in itself. And God will use you in that. And many will come. People asked me about yesterday, we were talking about that this morning. Like, we don't know if, if you're here from the festival or not, or if you're in cancer. We don't know if we'll see the fruit of that. But the Bible says in Corinthians, what? Our faithfulness is important that some plant, some water, some see the increase. We were planting and watering and we did see some increase. I trust God in all that. God knows all that. The Bible says in Acts 2.47 that he adds to the church daily being saved. God, you're, you're the chief shepherd of the church. You oversee the church and these are your sheep. I just commit them to you that they follow the chief shepherd, the good, the door, the, tr the true shepherd, the good shepherd. So my challenge as I close this morning with you is this. In this chapter, he said, I am the door. Then he said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, the father and I are one. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> what are you going to do with that? So number one, this morning as we close, our faith is secure. Our faith is secure because of Jesus. He can never take us out of the palm of his hand. We have to hold on to that promise. 
right? We hold on to it. Number two, our faith will be tested like Jesus. Our faith is going to be tested. The enemy is going to test. And how you handle your test will determine how rooted you really are. How grounded in the faith you really are. How mature you really are based on your rootedness in the faith. One little thing comes, you fly off the handle. No, get grounded. Thirdly, our faith is the fruit of someone's testimony of Jesus, right? We might, be, we might be the answer of somebody else's hell. We might be the answer of somebody else's hell, meaning we can help them see the light. Let's pray. Father heaven, thank you again for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're a mighty God. Thank you for those in this room, Lord. You said there's a blessing in the hearing of the word. And I trust you there's a blessing for your people this morning that have come, whether you're watching online or whether you're here with us. Lord, I just pray your blessing upon your people. You already described your sheep in the text. They hear your voice, they have life, and they follow you, Lord. May the sheep be this, may the sheep here be those people, Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and never made that confession of faith and you want Jesus to be your shepherd. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning if somebody's here. Anybody here? I want to pray for you. Anybody? Just raise your hand and I'll pray. Father, we just thank you again for this morning. Trusting you're doing the work in all our hearts. Thank you for our time. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.